Immersive Audio Podcast. In conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business, to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, brought to you by 1618 Digital. Today, host Oliver Cadell is joined by Sally Ann Kellaway via Skype. Though currently based in Los Angeles, Sally Ann is the founder of the virtual reality content creators of Australia. She has extensive experience in sound recording, editing, implementation, and testing for interactive media. Formerly the creative director at OSIC, Sally Ann has an interest in implementing 3D spatial hearing and binaural sound in video games and other interactive experiences. Today, Sally Ann speaks about head tracking future of audio AR and diversity in the industry. Hi Sally, how are you today? Hey, I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Thank you for joining our podcast today. I believe you are based in LA and it's early morning and it's quite the opposite for us in London. It's end of the day. I don't know if I would really call 10 o'clock early, but I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But we're, we're both drinking coffee regardless. <laughs> it's a breath, the meal of champions or the drink of champions. Absolutely. So I would like to dive in straight into your past and ask how did you become interested in this entire audio industry? The entire industry, well, I suppose I have touched a few elements of the audio industry in general, uh, so it's a a fair question. Um, I guess if we wanted to roll this back to like when I was a kid, I actually wanted to play an instrument um, after, you know, playing piano when I was very, very young and singing in choirs and stuff. I wanted to play a real instrument. So naturally, I picked the prettiest instrument that exists, which is the flute, because it's silver and shiny and makes a delightful sound. Uh, And I stuck with that for quite a few years, um, right up until the end of my high school. But I realized very quickly I had like terrible stage fright. I could not perform on stage by myself. I was fine on ensembles, um, but I just could not stand on stage by myself with my flute and feel comfortable. Um, I had like a terrible tremor. So like the the note would be all, all wobbly all the time, which is not so good. Uh, so I had to figure out another way to continue to torture my parents by wanting to pursue a career in music. And I decided to combine that with computers and technology. So, um, going into recording engineering, I did my first degree in sound engineering, touched some sound design projects, decided that linear media was not the coolest thing on the face of the planet because, uh, in linear media, you're often at the, the whim of other creators, who have an, like some sort of ultimate say in whatever the end experience will be like. Um, it's very rarely sound or music, particularly if you're working to picture just for just for the sound's sake. Um, so I thought, like, how can I get around this? Because I'm sick of people like editing, <laughs> editing the, the sound design that I do and the music that I cut to picture, and, like without even telling me, and then releasing something that doesn't represent my my vision and my direction. Uh, and I actually jumped across into games because of how much of a puzzle it all seemed. 
uh, at the time there was this game called Bioshock that came out um, and the player can like run around in this underwater city and the closer they get to the windows that look out to like where the fish swim, the more like watery sounds and whale sounds and ocean sounds you could hear. And if you moved away from it, then you heard less of them. It was more about the internal, like the interior ambience of the city. And um, that, even that very, very simple thing was like, holy crap, like how do they do this? This is crazy. That must mean that they know like where the player is in proximity to this object and then they're mixing different levels of sound depending on that and there's all these different things going on all the time. It was very, very interesting. So once I actually started doing a few little sound design projects for a few little like student games, I was absolutely hooked um, and ended up following through with a master's, uh, not master's, uh, the honours year first, writing a paper on how do you do interactive music um, and taking some case studies there. I worked at Sega Studios Australia as well, doing sound design and motion capture, working in the studios there, and just started devouring, like, how much information can I learn about games in general and how can I use my knowledge of sound and sound engineering to benefit that? And it's just been a complete obsession ever since. And I just keep on niching myself further and further. The more interesting uh, little uh, niches and objects and sub-industries I find, the deeper I go. It's just one of those things that I find a very interesting puzzle to continue solving this whole industry. You have a master's degree in design science, audio and acoustics. Can you tell me what kind of work do you focus on during the completion of that course and Perhaps how did it influence your current involvement with immersive audio? Absolutely. Uh, so the degree that I took, the master's degree in design science, I did that at the University of Sydney. Um, and even before I knew about that degree or that I wanted to dive into spatial and immersive audio more deeply, I had this idea that because games, like you, even if you're playing a third-person game, you're very immersed in the action that's happening. So I had this feeling, especially since I had, you know, previously found the logic binaural panner and was really enchanted by this whole idea of binaural technology, that that technology could be used in games to help uh, deepen the immersion that you could access by just, you know, designing sound and implementing sound. So that was the question that I asked the dean uh, when I called up and I was like, look, this is what I want to do. Can I do it here? And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. We do. Um, we do lots of research into that area and we can teach you all of the, you know, backing acoustics and psychoacoustics to be able to su support that. So um, I jumped into this, this course and a lot of it was learning about um, fundamentals of acoustics and psychoacoustics um, and even some like architectural science subjects as well, which were interesting, but um, not, not exactly my focus. And I ended up doing quite a quite a large percentage of my credit points into into pure research. So I wrote a couple of papers on how <laughs> how vowel sounds, because they're so resonant, they can actually skew your ability to localize sounds in particular directions. Um, and that was obviously these are research projects that I was doing by myself with my supervisor. Um, and I haven't published these papers, but I hopefully will one day once I get around to it. Um, they were really, really interesting and quite um, something I was doing separate to the rest of the cohort of the degree, I guess we could say. Um, and that type of research, like, um, it's not very easy to apply to the industry, but doing these sorts of experiments, and I was literally, like, 
running uh, listing tests with my classmates. Doing these things, researching these things and, and writing up these style of papers, it seems really esoteric since what we want to do is like design and implement audio for interactive applications, but it actually really helps you understand very deeply or at least start to understand very deeply what is going on when we cram all the sound into um, a really complex um, application or game or whatever it is you you feel like making and pan it all everywhere in a 360 degree or 3D space and then expect the listener to be able to localize everything and what might be happening there, what could be going wrong, what you could do to help remedy that. Um, they're all really interesting things that I'm still very, very interested in and really want the whole industry to start to kind of wake up to and embrace. As I'm not sure how quickly we're going to be solving all these um, these challenges around localization and spatialization. So it's really important that we understand what's going on and what our specific like idiosyncratic uh, challenges are in the industry right now. Don't you find it frustrating if, when you understand the science behind audio and acoustics and when you limit it with the technology and software that is currently present you constantly like you know trying to fix these things and apply your critical uh, listening skills without being able to achieve what you ideally want to achieve like with the current technology I suppose or or can you easily sort of detach your kind of creative mind from your sort of scientific mind yeah it's a, a really good question it's a really philosophical question in a way uh, because um, the whole tenet of science is that we, and I'm speaking not we as in I'm a scientist, but we as in like human beings that practice science on a daily basis, um, even by you know cooking. Um, no, no part of science is is perfect or finished. Uh, it's all theories that we just test in tiny little ways every every single time we do something. Um, so at some point we all have to kind of get over this obsession with perfection and with being able to achieve a perfect goal. Because even if we have an understanding of what a perfect goal is, um, whether that's I'm going to make a 360 video or, you know, 360 music recording or um, mix a 360 track and people are going to be able to point to exactly where every object is at all times. There's a lot that I don't know about how about what kind of a result I could achieve. And I'm going to be limited by not just the technology that I use, but my own understanding and practice as well. There's too many points of failure in the pipeline for any anything that we do, particularly in um, immersive virtual augmented reality technologies. Um, pick anything, it all applies. Um, I, I feel that it's best to understand and to practice and to strive but not to think and and work in absolutes. I think it's really easy to just get frustrated and almost like lose the motivation and the inspiration because you just think that the world is not perfect around you, but we just have to work with what we have and always, you know, try to achieve our best. And the, the good news is that um, everything's moving in the right direction anyway. It, it, of course, it takes time. Yeah, that's it. It's like... Um for someone who's not familiar with um, 3D or 360 audio technologies, jumps in, tries some spatializers, doesn't like the result, um, for them to turn around and say, these things don't work, this industry is not worth it, is kind of rounding up or rounding down, like whichever direction 
it's it's rounding down to absolute failure when actually, hey, we're kind of just getting started. This tech has been functional in this way for not even functional in this way and accessible to most people, like most practitioners for not even five years yet, maybe five years if we're going to be generous. So to write it off as being, you know, not worth it right now is totally not seeing the potential of not only the industry and not only the technology, but each and every one of our creative practice as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you told us how you got hooked with the interactive audio and gaming. Um, I wonder what was your truly sort of first immersive experience and how did it spark your interest towards virtual reality? The easiest way I could answer this question is just to say, like, we've all listened to the virtual barbershop before, and that's a lot of fun, and it really does, um, it really does get you. It's a very immersive, and um, especially as a girl, like, I never thought I would like having a, like, an electric shaver thing next to my ear, and, ugh. but now I have shaved hair, so um, I don't mind it so much. Yeah, so that's like a very easy thing just to point to and say like, hey, that thing really got me and I just wanted to do that. But in in actual fact, like you can think of your everyday experience as being immersive in some way. I love thinking about when, you know, when I was in school and playing in like X number of different ensembles with X number of different types of flutes, um, the standard one, alto and bass flute, um, and being surrounded by other instruments. It's a different way to experience an orchestra or an ensemble of various descriptions um and those are those are like early immersive experiences that most people don't think of as being immersive but i think that since so many of the practitioners that are looking at 360 video and music and interactive and immersive applications like vr and ar so many of them are like would have had similar experiences and I feel like we're all sort of just searching for a way to have those again or to create those without needing to round up like 50 other people and their instruments and practice something over and over again and all sorts of stuff like that and also testing the limits of um, spatial sound as well. You're a former creative director at OSIC Studios which must have been a quite incredible experience working within that environment and meeting all kinds of people in the way creative technical etc can you talk about your responsibilities and your role and how, how did you get there in the first place yeah it's a really it's an interesting story and it was possibly one of the most fun jobs that i've ever had um so osic was a startup uh, there was maybe like somewhere between 10 and 20 people in the office at various different times uh, we had a really small core team of really, really smart people. And um, I was kind of brought on board uh, to do a whole bunch of different things. I actually wrote the role description and all the responsibilities. So I basically listed everything that I wanted to do. And then once I actually got into the office and start working, I was like, oh, some of those things I get to do. Other things there's uh, I don't get to do because there's random, weird, interesting, fun projects that just kind of spring up all the time. Uh, working in a startup, any type of startup, uh, you have to be really agile and willing to juggle juggle your tasks around um, because there's always you always get interesting emails like every few weeks or every few days depending on what time of year it is. Um, so a lot of what I was doing was um, some pretty standard 
business development stuff, so meeting with other developers, whether they were games, artists, um, musicians, uh, people that make 360 videos, um, creative agencies, pretty much anyone kind of telling them about the technology, a lot of education there to kind of get them up to speed with like how cool it was and why we needed to put so many features into our product and what we were trying to do and what we were trying to achieve for the industry and trying to kind of like recruit them into a creative, um, a creators program and that kind of, those kind of responsibilities, which are so much fun. I was also doing a lot of um, kind of like product managing work. So for some of the advanced and like future products, uh, writing up product requirement documents, doing a lot of ideation, brainstorming, um, thinking about like if I was working in the industry in, you know, two to five years, what kind of tools would I want? And then writing all of that out and trying to imagine how it would all work. Um, working with um, engineers and our VP of product to sort of turn that into something that a software engineer could actually use. A lot of product testing. Um, I wrote documentation as well because (laughs) I'm a big believer in writing down documentation. So writing down what you think and then actually um, writing it in a way that people can understand so they can reproduce your steps and those sorts of things. All sorts of random weird things. We did some kind of explorational creative work as well. So uh, developing an augmented reality game app thing with our technology. We also, I also got to mix some uh, Abbey Road recorded content that was recorded with an eigenmic in our 20-speaker dodecahedron in third or third order ambisonics. I We got to do that as well. Uh, a lot of explorational work like that. So it was basically just like, Hey, what needs to get done today? Hey, what needs to get done this week? What's on fire more? Okay, let's go do that. Hurrah! <laughs> Which is a lot of fun, and it was a really excellent experience. Yeah, it sounds like a typical um, startup environment. Everything's on fire every day. You're just trying to like readjust your focus on whatever is most important at the time. It's just like games. It's just like games. <laughs> Sally, you are on the. AES technical committee for game audio, uh, particularly spatial audio, and on the diversity and inclusion working group. Can you describe your involvement with AES and these specific uh, segments? Absolutely. So um, the AES stands for the Audio Engineering Society, um, which is a really well um, like established and um, re- respected and regarded um, society for people that do audio engineering and post-production and all sorts of different things that fall under audio engineering. Initially, I just joined as a member so that I could access the conferences at a discounted rate. So that started out as being like this very small thing where I was like, oh, I guess I'll be a member and I'm going to be speaking at there anyway. So I guess I'll just see what's interesting about this particular society. But once, um, especially since this whole industry is sort of like picking up a lot of steam and it's like coalescing into something really exciting. Um, once you jump into that AES, you see that there's actually some really interesting projects or working groups and um, special interest groups that are forming. And the technical committee for audio for games and spatial audio is, I would say, the most interesting one. Because like we look at spatial audio and you know VR audio, 360 audio, whatever you want to call it, from the lens of interactive applications and we're doing we're trying to set up some projects where we can actually start capturing a lot of the knowledge within the industry for both AES members and, and hopefully non-members as well 
that's what I really see in that particular working group uh, or that technical committee. Uh, when it comes to the working group for diversity and inclusion, um, that one's actually a really large working group, but very active. Um, that's headed up by Leslie Gaston Bird. And what we're trying to do with this working group is actually just improve the representation of you know, diverse people within the audio engineering society. And that's not just um, not just women um, or non-binary folk, it's also uh, people of colour and abilities and also different types of audio as well. So really just trying to get more conversation about weird, interesting things from, you know, interesting people of very different types happening within the AES and represented within the AES as well. So that's a really valuable group to be part of because it means that I can stand up and be like, hey, like as a younger woman, you know, I had this experience and I'd like these opportunities and I see these sorts of things, how can we fix them? But I can also stand up and say like, hey, like as someone who's, you know, trying to, you know, make virtual reality audio more prevalent within audio engineering in general, like, hey, what can we do here too? So like, I, there's a lot of opportunity there to get, weird, interesting subgenres of music, as well as weird, interesting subgenres of audio technology um, recognized and then represented better within the AES. I definitely would like to recommend uh, all young engineers of all gender and background to join this great organization, especially if you're a student. I, I believe the fees are very low and the amount of benefits you get is is amazing. And as Sally just pointed out, um, you know, it's, it's a great networking opportunity. It's, it's a great platform to express your ideas and just get involved with all kinds of amazing opportunities. We're going to include the link in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really important um, as a younger person um, or just someone that's, you know, involved in a very deep niche of any industry, particularly within audio, to be part of these organizations because these are the best organizations to allow people access to, to networking with really, really cool, awesome folks. Um, gives you a lot of resources as well, um, and it really helps you have influence in the shape of the industry and the conversations that happen within the industry. So, yeah, I would highly recommend it. You've also been taking initiatives in Sterling and participating in conversations about diversity in this traditionally male-led industry, as we know. Um, can we talk a little bit more about what the situation is at the moment? Uh, where do you think it's heading and perhaps what were the biggest hurdles that you've come across in the past and perhaps what the biggest achievements you had in this pursuit? To be honest, I haven't run the numbers on the audio industry in general. Um, from memory, when we talk about like percentages of, you know, just men versus uh, women, like participation in the industry, I think the number of, you know, male participation, like the percentage is up over 90%. Um, that depends on, on region always. Um, so that's like a pretty daunting figure to look at for any, any woman of any age. Um, and I would say even for like non-binary folk as well to be like, Oh, I don't even register on this. That's a bit weird. So obviously like the whole industry kind of looks and feels a bit daunting in that way. But if you have a goal and you have the skills to get there, there's a lot of people that support you along the way. And that's been my experience and something that I've been immensely grateful for. 
obviously I have been educated and supported by more men than women because of the, you know, just the skew of the industry. And I have appreciated the, the advocation and the, the edu- education and the support at every step of the way. And that's something I'm immensely grateful for. And I think it's it's really worth it to be part of it. And it's really worth being vocal. Like once you actually get to a point within the industry where you can help other people to be vocal and to participate and help support others that have that same goal that you did. So that's kind of why I am so outspoken and supportive of you know, diversity working groups and initiatives where I can be is because I want the industry to be as awesome as it possibly can be. And I think that means that we need to include people that really want to make the industry awesome, regardless of who they are. I really enjoyed reading your blog about audio for AR. I think probably the most compelling written piece of work I found on the, from practical standpoint about audio for AR today um, so really looking forward to the next edition. I wanted to ask, in your opinion, what do you think are going to be the, the key applications for AR as far as immersive audio concerned, perhaps this year or coming years now? Oh, great question. When it comes to augmented reality, specifically looking through the lens of audio, and we're trying to imagine what apps and what uses we have for this technology, I think the simplest thing and like whenever I think about like what our experience of this technology is going to be like in the future, um, two to five years, I'm saying like, when can't I be looking through my phone or through a device? How am I going to be getting information and, you know, receiving, you know, getting information, receiving guidance as to what I should be doing and anywhere that you need to use your hands uh, to do something or are you using your hands and you need, you know, your, your eyes to be very focused on what you're doing. Um, you can use audio to, you know, augment that experience and provide that information. The thing about like audio AR is that it sort of already exists (laughs) and people don't really see that. Um, and I think that's sad, um, because we've already been kind of iterating on this for a little bit. Uh, So things like map directions when you're in your car, like your car is doing some audio AR for you to help guide you in the right direction. And that kind of technology can be pushed out even further to become more immersive. So one of the one of the things that uh, we love to think about when we were at OSIC, um, this is maybe just me, was that so if you're walking on the street and you don't want to be staring at your phone for directions the whole time because sometimes that can be unsafe in the like in various areas having head tracking on the headphones means that the device can tell what direction that you're facing and some gps can also help with um telling how far you've traveled so you can get spatialized uh, like effectively you could get spatialized um cues on which direction to turn when how far away things were like those sorts of things just delivered by audio and that's technically I would say that counts as augmented reality technology so anything where you need to be doing something and paying like full attention to it or your hands are full you can't be looking through a phone your eyes need to be staring at something very specific there needs to be additional information delivered about that thing those sorts of things would be really cool um also just you know like expanding on this idea of 
um, performance spaces that um, have like a, a play or an experience that plays out through a whole building or something like that, you can, you know, just effectively geotag um, audio to different spaces and, and move through those audio cues, like all sorts of crazy things. Like wherever you can put audio in space or audio needs to be spatialized around you to help, you know, help you just keep on track with what you're doing or deepen the experience. Like to me, that's one of the, a couple of the things you can do with audio AR in general. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Before we start sort of getting really futuristic and esoteric about spatial audio and AR, I think just looking around the kind of technologies that we use day in, day out, um, and just making them a little bit more compelling, engaging and useful for the user is probably the kind of uh, lower hanging fruit that, you know, could be immediately addressed and improved, you know, further steps could be taken from there. The thing is that like augmented reality, as much as it does exist, um, we, we don't know what it's meant to be when it's fully realized. It's a process to have to imagine those applications, research whether they're possible, prototype them and then push them out there. So a lot of what we'll see and what we can imagine right now is going to be based off what we need it to do, based on how we live our lives right now. And it's a process that's going to take years, which is, I guess, like to me, that's part of the the infatuation and the interest in it is that like we're not going to get the killer app for AR or AR audio immediately. It's something that we have to find. Absolutely. I, I think it would be pretty boring if you had no outlook into the future and everything was kind of perfect and stuck in its current condition. It's it's exciting not to know what, what exactly is going to happen tomorrow in, in, a, in a bigger context. What's your take on music consumption in immersive, interactive formats? I mean, it doesn't really... Does it really exist yet? There's some applications that do this sort of thing. Like obviously the Wave VR is a really big one. Um, that's, I guess, one of the more popular ones at the moment. Really, like the Wave is sort of like one, like really super immersive and super involved, like example that includes all these visuals and visual designers, you know, DJs that make their own like crazy visual scapes and all sorts of things to go into the VR that accompanies the music. So it doesn't just exist for the music kind of thing. Obviously, like there's this big, all the rest of the spectrum when it comes to 3D and spatial music that just doesn't exist yet. I'm interested in this space. There's something that we were interested in at OSIC as well, obviously, because we're providing a product that could deliver, you know, 3D formats of music um, with a set of headphones that had head tracking so that you could actually, you know, move your head through the through the field but there's a lot more exploration to be done there and there are people that are doing that composers um that are doing that artists that are doing that but there's not many just yet so everyone should just get stuck into it um considering the kind of average music a listener consumer today you know streaming from spotify using a pair of headphones listen to music in stereo do you think there could be any like value to people to listen to music composed, mixed, produced in 3D and then uh, rendered in binaural format in and listened to through channels? Do you think that there's there's a there's much of a difference and um, and that sort of 
different flavour could spark a lot of interest in, in wider masses within the audience? Yeah, I mean, binaural is obviously the easiest spatial technology to fit into what like distribution methods that we have accessible to us as an industry right now because it's two-channel and stereo is two-channel and there's not really any music streaming services that deliver more than two channels. There's a couple worldwide, but I don't think there's any in the States or um, I don't know the UK market, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so binaural is like obviously the one that we think of where it's like, oh, it could just like sign that into stereo. That's cool. Um, gets delivered into the head with earbuds. Totally works, right? But you can't turn your head through a binaural scene, which means that there's some onus on provider or on the listener to understand the type of experience that they're getting and know what to do. And, and I say that thinking like into the future where – I hope one day we can have like um, like ambisonic or object-based music streaming services where you can have like that full experience where you can actually turn your head through the scene. Binaural, not so much because if you're just recording, um, if you're just slapping down a binaural head in front of an orchestra and saying like the acoustics and this are perfect and this is the only way that you should listen to it like facing forwards, you obviously can't turn your head through that scene. Quite binaural never liked the sound of that myself. Like panning through that particular scene with that technology is the reason that we left it behind as an industry is because it didn't sound great. Binaural is, my point is just like binaural is just one way to experience that. It might be low-hanging fruit right now because it fits into stereo, but um, once we have other technologies coming through and we're asking people to understand more about what they're experiencing, there becomes the need to educate more about the different types of experiences that people are getting access to. And hey, like this one is you get right now, you can't turn your head through it. People might not understand that as being spatial then or being very 3D. I don't know. I haven't run that experiment on people yet, but that would be a cool one to work out. Like if you actually put people in the like in a listening room where they can listen to a binaural recording and then listen to an ambisonics or a 3D um, like object-based recording where they can move their head through it. Like which one do they think is more 3D? Do they even perceive the binaural as being 3D if unless there's someone that's like walking around them with a flute? Like do they get it? I don't know. There's a lot to be explored there as to how much people, consumers understand because um, if they don't get it, it's probably not worth doing. <laughs> And there's probably like a big gap of education that needs to happen to to make it worthwhile. But I think it's one of those things that we're going to have to just be educate, educate, educating about. <laughs> yeah, it will certainly take a generation for people to realise the these new formats and sort of start developing a taste, I suppose, and the appetite towards different sounding formats within the music industry. There are certain trade-offs. And I don't know, you could, you could argue temporal fidelity versus spatial fidelity and whatnot and how much people actually do care about the formats and you know, things like that perhaps most people are totally consumed by the you know lyrics the story the song the melody these kind of things way before they even start perceiving or uh, like consciously analyzing the the format it's a new thing like we're putting new technology and new types of experiences in front of people they're not going to get it in the first instance like even content creators don't get why they should create with it right now so as i say with everything it's going to be a process <laughs> what music creators can learn from 
game audio designers uh, have been experimenting for a while with interactive music and, you know, dynamic and adaptive music, adding new dimensions such as space, time, etc. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience and where do you think it's all heading? Absolutely. So my perspective on this is that because I believe in the immersive technologies of virtual augmented mixed reality so much and that I really do believe that they'll become very ingrained or pervasive or just ubiquitous across, you know, people, consumers in general. The audio and music in these experiences, we are, like, we do have linear formats for, uh, like, uh, 360 videos and stuff um, at the moment, but I don't see those sticking. Um, I actually see interactive applications for VR, AR, MR as being what what most people will expect as the default experience. Even slight amounts of um, interactivity, like leaning, um, turning your head, there are ways that the listener can interact with the scene and they're going to expect a different um, sound because of that. Uh, might not inter- uh, impact music that particular example might not impact music quite so deeply, but I really do see augmented reality is going to be an interactive uh, technology. There's like, I I don't really see too much linear experience being valuable in that space for very long, maybe small amounts of it, uh, like, like audio books or something like that. I'm not sure. So with that um, prediction, I would have to say that, Anyone that's working in linear media right now needs to learn how to deal with adaptive, dynamic, interactive sound and music. They should wrap their head around how that technology works and how idiosyncrasies and challenges of those, you know, technology types are. Um, Because, like, we're already seeing, you know, folks, practitioners that work in posts and in film and TV being asked to do interactive VR jobs and completely doing a terrible job because they don't understand that you can't just cram a million assets into an app and expect that it will run or that mixing in a 3D space, even if you just have a list, uh, like a listener running around in a scene, is very different to mixing from a fixed perspective to screen. I'm not meaning that to criticize. I'm meaning that it's, it's something that you can learn and use to your benefit and use as a superpower. Understanding, you know, the trend of what I see as being the trend or where the industry will land is that there's a big opportunity to learn these skills now and learn what to do now and then actually benefit from that in, you know, in the two to five year range when we think that there's going to be the highest number and the coolest apps available. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, which project that you've been involved with are you most proud of and why? I've done a lot of really interesting things and I've really enjoyed myself all the way through, but I still really believe that my best work is ahead of me because I think that some of the most interesting things that will happen in the industry and, you know, most interesting research and prototypes and products that I'll work on are still coming. And like, I I can point to projects that I've done and I can say like, Oh, I totally did the first 3d mix Um, of music that ended up in a VR game and it sounded great and I loved it and that was cool and I learned a lot by doing that but to me I still understand how 
I, I want to I want to believe that there's a lot more in the future because I know that there's a lot more out there in terms of you know where the technology is going to go and what we could we could possibly do. What piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to enter industry today? I would say it's not good enough just to know how to use a piece of software anymore. I think the the people that are best at what they do um, and that really get it and that really see things into the future and, and understand like not only their own potential but then also the potential of what they can do, they understand um, what goes on in the background. So particularly if you want to work in, in 3D, 360 audio, uh, taking the time to to do some reading and research on psychoacoustics to some extent, I, not asking you to go do a master's degree or a PhD, but um, I see a lot of misinformation um, and assumptions made and, and communicated as if they were fact. And making those types of assumptions, it's not good. <laughs> Um, so really understanding that like the industry, like the 3D audio industry is kind of like this big science experiment right now. It's the biggest test that has ever happened, biggest experiment that's ever happened for psychoacoustics. So understanding that and being able to function and operate within that in a way that is um, that shows that you understand what is happening and what your limitations and what your um, opportunities are, I think that's that's really powerful. So go and do that. I think that's a fantastic piece of advice. Thank you. Sally, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast hosted by Oliver Cadell with guest Sally Ann Kellaway. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell, Gillian Duffy and Giacomo Corpino and included music by Knobs Bergamo. Thanks for listening.